0: Live from Lane County, Oregon. It's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Mosenich, and now here's Jay. Hey,
1: good afternoon, and what a gorgeous day it is here in the Pacific Northwest. Blue skies, crisp out there, just, you know, one of those great, you know, winter-type days here in the Pacific Northwest that we get that's in between the uh, rainstorms. So, really pretty day out here in the Pacific Northwest. You're listening to Bose Nose Show on KRBN Internet News Talk Radio, and I'm your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich, and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon where it's just a sunny 37 degrees outside. (laughs) So we got lots to talk about today on the Bo's Nose Show. I I threw a few subjects up there. I'm sure we are going to get somebody that might call and want to talk about Camp 99 and homelessness and emergency shelters and all that stuff. And and, and the fact that we're doing some investigation about citing an emergency shelter out there. But, uh, yeah, you know, We'll talk about whatever you want to talk about here on the Bose Nose Show. Just give us a call, 646-721-9887, and just press 1, and that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire know you want to get in on the conversation, because if you don't call in and control the conversation, you get to listen to what I want to talk about, which could be anything from the homeless camp on, on Highway 99, to the fact that we did um, a loan forgiveness for the Orchid's Health Clinic out in, um, in uh, Oak Ridge, and also uh, all sorts of other things. In fact, I've got some really interesting, what were they thinking um, this week, and of course, I think we're going to have to talk taxes, too, a little bit this week. So all sorts of things to talk about unless you call in and take the conversation where you want it to go. Again, 646-721-9887. Just press one. So we know you want to talk and not just listen. So we did um, you know, get an update. We had some public testimony about the, the, the homeless camp and all that. It wasn't really an item about the homeless camping on our uh, agenda. Uh, for this week, but we spent a lot of time talking about homelessness, it seemed like, during the board meeting, because we had all sorts of uh, items that kind of roundabout brought it in. We started out with public comment from uh, a bunch of people where we heard from folks that uh, were in support of the work we're doing out there at the homeless camp, including um, the self-designated leader out there, Eric Jackson, to a couple of business, um, a business owner and a um, employee of a business out there that are next door, about the problems they're having with the homeless camp and some of the behaviors that have come with that homeless camp, and the fact that it's impacting their um, actual revenue and business uh, out there. So, uh, you know, that was the start of the meeting. Was public comment. It seemed to be all surrounded around that, that homelessness issue where we actually got into, you know, our commissioner's remonstrance talking about homelessness a bit. And then we got into, um, even the, the, this ORCID clinic loan forgiveness even brought in a little bit of discussion about, um, healthcare and how healthcare, uh, issues can work towards, uh, you know, people becoming homeless and how, you know, having this, expansion of rural health care actually might be a a prevention strategy uh, as we provide um, low cost and and greater availability of people's ability to manage their health rather than having it become catastrophic and and driving them out of their housing due to financial issues or even uh, you know ability to continue living in their housing so you know it came up there It even came up when we started talking about the Public Safety Coordinating Council and some of the budget changes we're making to our um, Community Corrections Act funding and our Justice Reinvestment Grant funding, as some of that is used to fund sponsors, which is a great nonprofit here in our community that does transitional housing for folks coming out of prison, as they re-enter our community and getting them, you know, transitioned in a much more effective manner so they don't become homeless. Because a lot of people coming out of prison have nowhere to live. Um, So this really is another homeless prevention strategy. So spent a lot of the board meeting talking about homelessness. Uh, And so it was kind of top of mind. And then, of course, the county announced that we're actually looking at that Camp 99 site as a possible future location of a permanent emergency shelter uh, for folks that are homeless. And, you know, people kind of wonder, you know, why, you know, there's already the mission. Doesn't the mission have that function? The mission is no longer truly an emergency shelter. They've changed their um, uh, operating strategies to where they're actually doing um, uh, more of a permanent supportive housing model where they're doing intensive case management and they're not low barrier you can't go into the missions program unless you've already gotten yourself off the drugs which for a lot of folks on the street it's kind of hard to work on that while you don't have a roof over your head so it's um you know the mission and the mission's a religious based Uh, program, and that has to deal with the court case in Martin versus Boise that the Ninth Circuit of the um, U.S. Court ruled that uh, Boise could not arrest people for illegal camping because there was not a low-barrier emergency shelter that did not have a religious um, uh, aspect to their program available as an alternative to these folks that are camping illegally on public property in Boise. So one of the issues about Lane County's ability to control and the city of Eugene or even Springfield or Junction City, whatever, uh, to control illegal camping now underneath, you know, once that ruling has been issued by the Ninth Circuit, is there has to be some kind of low barrier emergency shelter that's non-religious available as an alternative to public camping to be able to enforce any sort of camping restrictions. So uh, looking at that site as a possible location for that low-barrier non-religious emergency shelter also may help us resolve the issues with that Ninth Circuit decision. Ultimately, if we can get, you know, enough people You know into this into the system of permanent supportive housing so we don't you know overload that shelter and have a waiting list so we're only in the looking at it stage you know we've you know our staff is doing some research you know you know what's the zoning allowances there how's it fit into the neighborhood um you know what's the traffic flows look like you know, what's the cost might be, and, you know, is there, you know, who might be able to participate, you know, is the city of Eugene, can they provide funding and management? Is it going to be, um, you know, a partnership? Is it going to be a public-private partnership? Are we going to be able to get some private funding involved? All these things are questions that haven't been answered yet. We only announced that we're starting to investigate the site. So um, for all those folks that immediately jumped to Uh, Lane County is spending public tax money on housing homeless people. Um, No, that really hasn't happened yet. Although we already are, you know, the, the one thing I will, you know, people may not understand is we spend um, our human services division spends about $10 million a year on services provided to low income and homeless people. You know, everything from emergency food through, um, Food for Lane County, where we're, we're we're the funnel for some funds that that, that hand, handle that to uh, heating assistance programs that we that we take federal dollars and funnel through um, to the local utilities to support um, low income heating bill support. To uh, we spend almost a million dollars a year in uh, emergency and winter housing for homeless folks. Uh, on, through that human services division. So we're already, um, and a lot of it's federal monies and state monies that's passed through, but it's still taxpayer money. You know, it doesn't matter which government sources, it's taxpayer money. And uh, so we're already spending a significant amount of taxpayer money. It'd be better to try and get this, uh, um, a system that ultimately gets people out of homelessness and gets them to be uh, stabilized into Permanent housing, and then some job skills and a job, so they become productive members and taxpayers, you know, versus tax users. So that's kind of where we're going, sort of with that. Looking at the permanent use of that Camp 99 property as a possible permanent emergency shelter. Again, just starting an investigation of that. So um, don't get too overly concerned at this time you know we may look into it and determine that the zoning is completely incompatible with that use or the buildings that exist on that property um, would require you know massive uh, input of capital to get them to uh, human habitation standards right now they're they're being used as one's a warehouse and one's a former restaurant that are on that site Um, so it's not like they're set up for a homeless shelter. <laughs> so, you know, there's lots to, to look into there. Uh, and that, that's really, um, we're just starting that work. But uh, on top of that, you know, I mentioned that we, we did uh, do a loan forgiveness for Orchid Health Clinics. And this is, this is a good news story. Way back in 2012, the University of Oregon had a challenge for some of its students to... Um, Look for an innovative solution to some intractable problem, you know, that out there. So a couple of students there got the idea of trying to find an innovative way to get past the problem of how, you know, these underserved rural areas as far as health care goes. And, and what they could do to do that. So they came up with this model to to start a health clinic in the rural area, you know, through their academic studies. And and by about 2015, they were ready actually to go live with this, this harebrained idea of theirs. And um, they managed to convince us, Lane County, to put up $35,000 worth of video lottery money in, um, 50% as a grant and 50% as a repayable loan. So $17,500 you know, grant money to build the clinic and $17,500 to buy equipment and get things started. Um, they also got some funding out of the city of Oak Ridge, I believe, and maybe even a, a site. And um, they went out there and you know, I was you know kind of wondering if we'd ever see any of the $35,000 again. And, you know, sure enough, they were successful. And since 2015, they now have 14 employees an annual payroll of just under, I mean, by like $4,000, under $800,000 a year with an average salary for those 14 people of $56,000 plus. Now, that's in Oak Ridge, mind you. So there's 14 people being employed in Oak Ridge. $800,000 worth of payroll off of a $35,000 investment in video lottery funds. I call that a pretty good return on investment. And this 17-5 loan, you know, had accumulated some interest, so it was up to $19,600. We forgave that loan on the condition they reinvest the $19,600 in their next clinic operation. By the way, they already opened a clinic in Estacado, which is another underserved area of Clackamas County, uh, out in the mount- way out near Mount Hood. And um, they um, are looking at opening a third clinic right now. And when they opened the Oak Ridge Clinic, Oak Ridge was um, determined to be the number one area for unmet needs for medical services. The number five on that list is Cottage Grove, and that's where they're going to invest that $19,600 in opening a new clinic in Cottage Grove to add to the um, primary care providers in the area. You know, One of the things they have also done up in Oak Ridge is not only did they bring primary physical health there, they brought mental health uh, integrated into their clinic and some dentistry uh, up there. So they're, they're providing an amazing service up there. And they've shown that of the folks that are involved in the Oregon Health Plan and Medicaid that would normally be going through uh, Trillium, uh, those Trillium customers that they've started serving, they've reduced their emergency room usage by 42% because they're starting to manage their health out there. So it's just, it's, you know, in so many ways been a great return on investment. So for, you know, $35,000 of video lottery money, we've gotten 14 jobs and $800,000 payroll in Oak Ridge. And now we're leveraging it to start a clinic in Cottage Grove. So it's just trying to, to bridge that urban rural divide of, you know, healthcare out there and get that, that rural healthcare. And I, while they were in, in the board meeting on Tuesday, I reminded them that there are areas of West Lane County that could use a little bit more um, primary care providers. and In particular, I, I told them about the stretch of Highway 36 basically running from Mapleton up through Triangle Lake and that that area is difficult and particularly that there's the mental health uh, provision on that side of the tunnel is really um Anemic at best. So if they brought a clinic out there and, and provided some mental health care, it prevent people from having to make the hour drive into Eugene, and in who knows what kind of weather, um, like the freezing fog we've had the last couple mornings. Uh, so it's really, really an impressive thing. It all started with a U of O um, student project, basically. <laughs> so, go Ducks! <laughs> There are some advantages to having a university in your county. And that's, you know, that's, there we are. The innovation that came out of the University of Oregon is leading to $800,000 worth of payroll in Oak Ridge right now. So that's the good news story for the day on the Bose Nose Show. You know, we don't always have to talk about um, homeless people and the issues that surround homelessness. We can talk about some of the good news stories and even where the University of Oregon's in the news for good reasons, like this uh, Orchid Health Clinic. But that kind of leads me to today's what were they thinking? And, I, you know, we're going to have to talk about gas. No, not that kind of natural gas. The other kind of natural gas. I have to hand the what were they thinking award for this week to the Eugene City Council for coming up with the harebrained idea that they need to raise the franchise fees on Northwest Natural Gas to leverage them into reducing or or decarbonizing their product, (laughs) which will ultimately increase the natural gas bills from Northwest Northwest Natural Gas for all Eugene City residents. So, you know, this is the same city that is extremely concerned about regressive taxation, the um the divide between the haves and the have-nots and income disparities and housing issues and all that stuff. So they're going to raise the cost of heating your home. Let that sink in in a minute. And it all in in the the idea is to try and to decarbonize probably one of the most efficient ways of heating your home there is out there. And, when, and really when it comes to carbon footprint, even electricity um, has a tough time competing because as you generate electricity, there's inefficiencies, there's losses as you transmit it over transmission lines, there's losses in the conversion of electricity to heat, uh, you know, so it, you know, it's such a you know, direct burning of natural gas in the home. It's a much more, as far as BTUs per, you know, amount of CO2 generated it is far more efficient than electricity, even when the electricity comes from so-called green sources, which all have a carbon footprint of their own. Because it takes you got to you got to mine, you know, coal and steel and iron ore, I should say, to make the steel that goes into those wind turbine blades. Yeah, and, and you need to mine and refine the gallium that goes into those solar panels. You know, and all the rare earths that go into solar panels. There is a huge cradle to grave carbon footprint for some of the quote green energy out there.
0: That never gets
1: talked about. And natural gas is not too far away from being very similar in total carbon footprint. And I, I want to really know somebody from the city of Eugene call me and tell me how you decarbonize something that has the chemical formula of one carbon atom and four hydrogen atoms as its component of its molecule. How do you take the carbon out of that? You take the carbon out of that and you end up with, with uh, four hydrogen atoms, which will combine to be, um, you know, H2 basically in the atmosphere and, and, and pretty quickly, you know, it very pretty volatile and oxidizes into H2O in ex- explosive fashions, you know, cause you know, remember the Hindenburg. <laughs> so you really don't want to have, you know, hydrogen, you know, being piped through those pipes uh, and decarbonizing, you know, it's kind of we 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 started down that road a little bit with fuel cells, but uh, really, uh, it's a uh, it's really interesting to to think about how do you decarbonize, you know, methane, which has a carbon molecule atom in the molecule. So please, somebody from the city council, call me. Tell me how you decarbonize methane. I want to know. You know, it just amazes me that the, the thought process that goes into that and, and that, you know, is this really a matter of city concern? You know, aren't there a few potholes that might need to be filled around the city? Some other issues. Kind of like this whole homeless thing. You know, we're going to raise our 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 heating bills for our residents to work on on you know our quote carbon footprint here in Eugene when we're when Oregon w- has one of the lowest per capita carbon footprints in the entire country because we've got a, such a high use of hydroelectric electricity here and we have so many uh, alternative energy sources and we're just kind of naturally conservative anyway so you know we don't we don't have a large carbon footprint here in fact, it's, it's minuscule compared to the rest of the United States. And when you start talking about the world carbon footprint, it's negligible. But you're going to push people onto the edge. These families that are asset limited, income constrained, you know what they call Alice families, you know that are one paycheck away from being homeless. We'll drive their heating bills up. Because we're going to decarbonize a molecule that has a carbon (laughs) as part of it. Uh, Good job, Eugene City Council. What are you thinking? And speaking of the City Council, I just have to talk about this a little bit. You know, our public comment, we let anybody come in. They get their three minutes to tell the board about anything they want to. And the City of Eugene has a similar public comment it is a rare thing for an elected official to come and give public comment to another public body. It's not too often. It's usually over something, you know, that's coming before the body that, that is, you know, something that has to be co-adopted maybe, or, or, you know, some serious um, issue. Well, city councilor Emily Semple was our first person to comment to us on Tuesday and her public comment basically considered Consisted of lecturing and shaming us for having adopted our hours of operation for the butterfly lot the week before. Now, mind you, we had a public hearing on that the week before and public comment before the adoption. So after the fact, she came and lectured us about it because she doesn't think free speech should have, you know, hours should be 24/7 or something like that not understanding that you still can go and protest on the sidewalks for 24 hours a day, and lecturing us about doing something that the city of Eugene did years ago for their park blocks across the street. We were just matching the city's you know, hours of operation for the park blocks. Counselor Simple, before you lecture the Board of Commissioners, you go and get your council to lift the the hours of operation and make the park blocks 24 hours available for protests and free speech. When you've done that, I'll I'll be happy to listen to your lecture. And besides that, our vote was a 5-0 unanimous vote where Commissioner Pete Sorensen, who you were having a very friendly conversation with before the meeting started, led the discussion at the beginning and quizzed our legal counsel to walk us through the ability of a government to place time, place, and manner restrictions on free speech, and whether or not there is still areas available, i.e. the sidewalks, that are 24-hour availability for free speech activities. And whether or not it was actually legal for us to to limit the hours of operation on this piece of public property. And after that questioning by commissioner Sorensen, who also happens to be an attorney, he voted yes. So I guess you should go talk to your, your good friend Pete and uh, straighten him out maybe, and then maybe straighten out your own house before you come and lecture us from the podium, you know, it was really um, kind of disappointing to see a fellow elected official do that sort of thing. I guess I've sort of gone that way somewhat. You know, I, I, I shouldn't be the pot calling the pet kettle black because my, what were they thinking for the last few weeks? I have called out city council to some degree. One was a past city council on eliminating the uh, Valley river bridge that would have relieved the i one Oh five bridge problems we're having during the, uh, Repair work. Um, but, uh, and and today I was kind of going after him for a tentative proposal to raise uh, heating bills. But I, you know, I do that here, not in, in the public meeting. And I also, you know, you can call in anytime you want, Councillor Semple, and challenge me on some of this stuff. Or even Councillor Zelenka, who was the one that seems to be driving this whole idea of raising people's heating bills. But really, uh, was disappointing to, to, to be lectured first thing on Tuesday morning by a city councilor about doing something that their body had done previously right across the street. So, oh well. I wanted to talk a little bit about taxes today on the Bozno Show, but before I do, I want to remind you that you can get in on the conversation as we're almost halfway done with the Bozno Show. At 646 721 9887. Just press one. Let's Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the conversation. 646 721 9887. And just press one. And I just want to remind everybody we're streaming right now on Facebook Live. We do that every week. And if you want to get a hold of us between shows or even during the show, you can email us at talk at krbnradio.net. Again, that's talk at krbnradio.net. So, I want to talk a little bit about taxes. As the governor released her, um, the governor's recommended budget, as they call it, the, the GRB, uh, last week, and as we're finally starting to get through the, you know, the hundreds of pages of documents and figure out what she's proposing, the one thing that was perfectly clear is she wanted two billion dollars in new revenues. Yet she has not said how that's going to happen. And she spoke about her vision at a uh, business uh, leadership uh, and and community leadership uh, function last Monday and never outlined her proposals in any detail for revenue. So I'm still waiting for that shoe to drop. But in the meantime, there are all sorts of places that they're trying to raise fees and, and do other things like there's there's considerable discussion that they are going to put a measure on the ballot to eliminate the kicker, and and keep that money in the coffers of the state. And I participated in a meeting by phone on Friday, where the Oregon Health Authority, which which regulates drinking water systems in the state, you know, as part of you know safe drinking water. Um, is looking for more revenue because they've they've had to lay people off over time because the things like uh employee benefits and PERS have keep going up and it hasn't gone up as fast as their revenues. So they want to implement a new fee system on water systems, you know, to you know from the state so they can regulate them. Uh, and of course that fee will get passed on to the ratepayers. So and you know, one of the questions that came up. So what, you know, part of the funding for this department comes from the general fund. And the question was, is, so you guys implement this fee is, you know, you got to lose your general fund support and they're like, Oh no, that's not ever going to happen. You know, and, but we can't guarantee what the legislative branch is going to do. And I kind of pointed out um, that it was the executive branch that proposed replacing the, uh, funds for um, the general funds for veterans services with the new video lottery uh, funding that was approved by the voters uh, and doing a, a shell game so they could use that general fund for some other purpose and not actually increasing the uh, revenue, the, the funding available to support our services to our veterans. And uh, fortunately, the legislature actually corrected that. But it was the executive branch that proposed supplanting the general fund. So when they kind of said, well, we're the executive branch, we can't really propose that, but the legislative branch, you know, it's like, nah, you guys have proposed that before. So there's no guarantee that once they start this fee on water utilities, which you'll see in your water bill, that they won't just start, stop, you know, supporting that department with general fund monies, and they're not going to gain any staff or ability to regulate water utilities as it is. And on top of that, a lot of really small water utilities, things like, you know, the um, small little uh, mobile home park, rural mobile home park that has a water system. Those guys are struggling just to keep their infrastructure functional and really got a capital need to replace a lot of that modernized. But those same systems will be paying this fee. So instead of being able to modernize their systems, they're going to be paying for state employees. Um, And then that will make their rate payers, which are some of these um, low-income folks that are living in a a single wide trailer in an old mobile home park, paying that fee to support state employees. So everywhere you look, they they are out there, you know, lifting up the couch cushions and sweeping up every new tax and fee they can get. So, you know, be wary. You're going to start seeing things that may not say they're a tax, but you're going to, your cost of living is going to go up. Whether it's your heating bill in Eugene in a, in a form of a carbon tax that they're going to call a franchise fee increase on, on the uh, utility, or it's the Oregon Health Authority assessing fees on water utilities that you're going to see in your water bill. Or the fact that you just stop getting your kicker because they're going to put it in a, quote, rainy day fund for schools. You know, that, you know, everywhere you look, they're doing this. It kind of makes me angry because as I as as a county commissioner, I've had to live with massive decreases in revenue, not increases. I mean, the state is in record revenues right now. Their revenue has gone up every year every biennium for the last several bienniums, yet they still don't have enough money. I had to go through a 20% cut in our all funds budget back in 2011 and a follow-up cut 2012 and 2013 where we were going the other direction with total funding and having to make serious cuts. And because of that, we've had to look at controlling our costs We've done all sorts of things to control our health care costs, from getting our employees from 20-some plans we were managing down to two common plans, from going into self-insurance and saving tons of money there, from doing things to alleviate our PERS liabilities, you know, paying down debt so we can get a higher bond rating, so that when we do incur debt, we can get better interest rates all of these cost controls we've been putting in place, while we watch the state consistently give massive increases in their employee, in their union contracts, when the legislature was threatening to make employees pay part of their uh, PERS, which would have been 6%, the state employees, the governor gave all state employees a 7.35% raise so that after taxes it would cover their 6%. You know that's the sort of things we see happening in state government. That's why OHA's employee costs have gone up so much they've had to cut staff in their drinking water program because there's been absolutely no cost control on the state's behalf. Yet we're going to have the state coming after us in our water bills, we're going to have the city coming after us in your heating bills. We're going to have them looking to suck the kicker back in. Everywhere we turn around, they're gonna try and increase a fee, a charge, a tax, a, a you know, remove a tax deduction, and you're gonna see them trying to grow this, this thing on the state government. Yet you will not hear a proposal to control PERS costs. You will not hear about you know, tough bargaining on behalf of the executive branch with the employee unions to control costs. In fact, you're going to hear the opposite. Actually, you won't hear anything because they rarely report on what the state does in collective bargaining through the press because there's sort of this, you know, um, the press and and organized labor, public employee organized labor seem to be pretty much hand in hand. So um, it's really uh, getting pretty crazy. And I think, uh, you know, I I can I can almost hear Robin jumping up and down with her hand in the air. Uh, yeah. Me, 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 me. Yeah, yeah me, 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 me. I you, I, I know you're dying to talk about taxes.
0: <laughs> me.
1: Yeah. No, I was just uh, just thinking is
0: that the last election. Uh, granted, I'm not sure what upsets me more is the fact that people who blindly voted for the party or the people that uh, just didn't get out and vote that a lot of this stuff may as far as taxes go may not be happening
1: yeah yeah, yeah. <clears throat> we're now facing a super majority in the legislature both branches and um, the governor's office but yeah, there were plenty of people that did not vote this last election uh, and all sorts of reasons you might think of why you know it wasn't you know I think we had a record number of voters but as percentage turnout it actually wasn't any it was actually a lower percentage turnout than the 2014 midterms 4 years before that so you know why is that you, know, you kind of wonder about you know are people were they really thinking you know about the future of their pocketbooks when they chose not to vote or you know, so that that's you know kind of an issue. So I kind of uh, you know, I I have a theme song for the upcoming legislature. For
0: you, theme
1: for the yeah, the yep. Ah <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, as we have our musical interlude on the Bo's Nose Show. And don't forget, you can call in and talk about taxes, homelessness, you know, decarbonizing natural gas, whatever it is you want to talk about at 646-721-9887. Just press one. So we know you want to get in on the conversation. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Just press one. So, um, you know, what yeah you know, what's your water bill like over there in Springfield? Oh my God, let me
0: grab it. i'll I'll tell you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah you know, I that's you know,
0: you to a sore subject, don't you?
1: Yeah, yeah. you drive around Eugene and Springfield in the summertime. and if, you know if you drive in the South Hills or the Thurston Hills, you know where there's there's you know a little bit higher end houses or maybe up in the River Glen subdivision. All the lawns are pretty and green and well-kept, but drive around, you know, say, you know, some of the lower-income neighborhoods, and you'll see a lot of brown, unwatered lawns because people can't afford the water bill to keep their grass green, which is kind of sad, you know, and also a fire hazard to boot. (laughs) Yeah, so there's... You just you see that, and it and it and it's definitively income based. You can drive you you can drive through those you know wealthier neighborhoods, and every lawn's green and pretty. And you get into some of the low income neighborhoods, you know, maybe get into Whitaker or Bethel danabo uh, you know, some of the um, basically um, areas uh, uh, along you know maybe Fort Fourteenth or twenty eighth or something there in springfield and the in the flatlands and uh older neighborhoods there and and you see a lot of brown grass
0: catch twenty two at least I don't know how it is in Eugene but in Springfield you know you got your basic charge just for the privilege of having it which this one is uh sixteen dollars twenty cents and we use a whopping um four units which is seven thirty five but here's what here's the kicker <laughs> pardon the pun. Um, base which is tied to your water usage is your um, your sewer mm-hmm. storm drain fee, and then of course uh, let's see because for the sewer you have the basic charge of thirteen twenty eight sewer unit sixteen forty five storm drain fee uh, fourteen ninety four so right there you're looking just rough guess oh about. Well, forty-four dollars forty-four sixty-seven for sewer charges, plus the um, twenty-three dollars on top of that for the water. And so, when when I say that, when I look at the, I figured it out one time that literally sixty percent of the bill is just fees and taxes.
1: Yeah, yeah, which it, yeah, the sewer sewer portion of the bill you're paying the cost of the sewer system, the treatment plant. So that's not fee and a tax. You're paying some operating. But the, the the storm drain is, is is more or less a tax, and the, some of the other fees that get tagged on there. But yeah, it it you know a lot of times the water bill, the water portion of your bill is really not part of it. It's it's everything they throw in on the water bills. Depending on the municipality, they throw all sorts of crazy things in there. I know there's some of them that have street repair fees that come in on the water bill. Some of them have actually um, uh, police uh, policing, uh, fees that they're starting to charge to try and add to their budget for their police or police forces. So it's like your water bill is not always just about water.
0: Well, yeah. And
1: and here, here, this, this is going to come in, you know, a pass through thing from the state that you're not, you know, it's going to become part of that base charge on your monthly bill. It's going to go up just a little bit, you know, a few pennies more a month and that's going to end up in the state coffers to hire, to pay for PERS and health insurance and raises for those state employees.
0: Well, these people don't understand, like my average uh, utility bill is around $200 a month, which is a lot of money. Um, But uh, when you you talk about the state having an abundance of money, just the other day in the paper, what is it? uh, Governor Brown wanted to, oh, God, I can't remember. It's a huge amount of of, uh, um, increase in taxes that she wants for, "Quote unquote, stabilizing schools, etc." Two billion. Yeah. Yeah. No, we don't have it. That's the bottom line. Is that, um, well, you know, it used to take two people to uh, two income families just to kind of make make ends meet, and it's just getting to the point that that's not enough either. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, there, there's the big question is, is, you know, is it ever enough?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and it really is, seems like it never is. And sometimes, you know, I have, you know, as a County commissioner, I have to govern sometimes. And there are times where no matter how good a cost control you do, it is difficult to continue to supply a service sometimes with, with the revenue streams you have. And, and it, you know, there there are all sorts of reasons why. But what bothers me about the state is I just don't see the effort to control costs. And and a lot of these things they're proposing, you know, which are going to end up in water bills, you know, your, your electric bill is going to increase with this new carbon taxing scheme that they're talking about, along with every product you buy in a store. Because there's carbon built into everything you buy, every piece, every grocery item, every piece of clothing you wear, there's carbon built into that. So if they start doing a carbon tax, you're going to start seeing every product have a tax built into it that you won't actually see on your receipt, but you're going to be paying taxes. And we've got these, you know, these folks, you know, we already have a homeless problem and a housing issue, but they're folks like you which they refer to as ALICE, which is Asset Limited Income Constrained Employed. That's what ALICE stands for. And a lot of those folks are already paying up to 50% just to keep housed. And if they start having to pay more for their food bills, their, their utility bills, can put them over the top and we're going to have more unhoused people. So it's kind of like, show me how you're controlling your costs before you start asking these folks to start supporting your government projects with their hard-earned paychecks. And, and that, that's what I really don't see. Show me, what if, show me what, that you've done things like Lane County, where we went from 14 departments down to nine, where we eliminated a lot of high management and middle management positions. Yeah, you know, we, we, we've gone lean everywhere we can. I, you know, I could, I could spend hours talking about the places we've gone to try and save money. That You know, whenever we've gotten one-time funds in where we couldn't count on them being renewed, whether it's, you know, uh, you know re-up of an SRS funds where, where we weren't sure it was ever going to come back, we paid down debt so we can get a better bond rating. And we've got the highest bond rating Lane County's ever had. So if we do ever decide to take on more debt, our interest rates will be low. We also refinance some debt that we had uh, with those new lower interest rates to save, you know, the, the interest payments. You know, over and over again, we've done things to try and control costs. And I can look the taxpayer in the eye and say, we are doing our best on the cost side of the coin before I ever ask anyone for more money and that that that's really you know what i don't see the state doing they go straight to we just need more money
0: you know and you make a really good point is that even though you know i'm i'm struggling financially and pray that nothing um catastrophic happens but i mean just like my property taxes i i struggle to pay it every year and it goes up every year if i felt in my heart that the money was being managed and spent wisely. And from what I see, I would feel a lot better for it. But when I see, even though it's not part of the same fund, you know, like the crazy Franklin Boulevard, you know, which we've given the drunken architect award to, uh, I nominate him again for next year. But, uh, you know, I have to live within a budget and I have to spend my money wisely. There's things I would love to have, but I can't afford to buy it because it well for one it wouldn't be in my budget, it wouldn't make sense. I can't I can't go into debt. And all I see is that every every year the cost of living goes up and I don't feel I get anything back out of it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's the you know the part that's really kind of scary about this whole thing. It's just the the, the lack of Constraint on the part of the state executive branch that just hasn't seemed to be any controls on cost or any attempt controls on cost. We only hear that, you know, woe is me, we had to cut these employees out of the drinking water program, and now we're down to, you know, only five engineers trying to manage all these systems and and do permitting, et cetera. Um, Why is that? because there's been cost of living increases and and increasing cost of PERS and increasing health insurance costs with no attempt to limit those those costs. You know, and I just – you see crazy things they're spending money on and crazy requirements being placed on on public contracting. You know, you and I have talked about the crazy, you know, artwork that gets put up because there's these – you know requirement to spend one percent on art on all these various projects, such as the famous uh Springfield torch there at Gateway and Beltline, or the 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 blue uh flowers there on i five as it crosses the Willamette River, yeah
0: yeah, and by the way, folks, that's not a basket hoop that is actually supposed to be a torch,
1: yeah, yeah, whatever that thing is up on top of those red bendy things,
0: I think it's a waste basket yeah yeah well it's definitely a waste basket
1: <laughs> yeah up on a pedestal up
0: on a pedestal exactly here's our waste throw your trash in here throw your money in here that, uh hey I just think I just hit it
1: yeah you know we, we should probably hire a helicopter to carry a giant crumpled up piece of paper and drop it in the top of that <laughs> oh
0: my god that would make the news
1: <laughs> uh, yes it would
0: Ah, you're evil. I love it.
1: Ah, uh, yes, I know, I think that way. <laughs> but it it's uh it it just amazes me, you know, that, that there isn't that sense of of um stewardship of the taxpayer funds in some, some agencies. Uh and and just the you know, the woe is me factor that always comes out. Uh, you know, and this whole issue with the school budgets that's almost all being driven by PERS rates right Well me, that's me, been driven by the fact that the schools haven't been required to actually account for their PERS costs for years. So they've been deficit spending and leading people down a merry path that you know you know they're, they're capable of giving the raises they've given out and everything else and uh, and supporting the administrative staff they're supporting. When they're not, they've got a per's liability. They've never truly funded in any any reasonable way, in their budgeting. So that you know, when they do come to these agreements with the, their unions, when they do decide to, you know, hire superintendents for two hundred thousand a year, um, these school districts, it, it's really you know, phony money, because they're they're playing with money that they're from the future. And that future PERS liability they obligated themselves to years ago.
0: Well, let me ask you this. Um, as you know, I used to own a business.
1: Yeah.
0: And, you know, as a business owner, you got to, you know, march your budget. In government, are these three little letters ever mentioned called RIA? Actually, I probably got it wrong. Anyways, return on investment.
1: Yeah, R- ROI. I- <laughs> okay. yeah, I'm, I, I'm sitting here going, Hmm. Return in, no, return. Uh, yeah. Yeah. ROI, yeah. Return on investment. And that's. Yeah, return know, on
0: investment. I'm, well, okay. I'm dyslexic. Give me a break.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You have to look at return on investment. And, you know, as I think about, you know, even my wife's small business, we've been discussing how we can increase the subscribers for her magazine. And we've been looking at possible areas to advertise for it. And the, the the demographic that her uh, are her subscribers matches up pretty closely with the Daughters of American Republic demographic. So we were thinking about possibly advertising in their magazine. So we're looking at how much does that cost? You know, and just a, you know, like a one time ads like $800. Um, so we would have to get, you know, at a 40 some dollar a year subscription we'd have to be able to get um, at least 20 subscriptions out of that ad to even balance the cost before. And, that, and that's just to balance the cost of the ad, not the cost of actually producing and mailing the magazine to those people. Mm-hmm. So it's really much more than that. So it's kind of like, what's the return on investment there? Um, I think we had a pretty good return on investment on that $35,000 that we provided to Orchid Health Clinics in Oak Ridge, where we now are getting $800,000 worth of salaries. You know, that's pretty good return on investment, not to mention the cost savings we're now getting in a 42% reduction in emergency room usage from their clientele. So, you know, there's, there's, you know, that's good return on investment in government spending. Where does the state look at that? Well, the
0: problem is they don't have to.
1: Yeah, they're they're not held accountable very well. I will say thank goodness for Secretary of State Dennis Richardson, because finally the Secretary of State's office and their performance auditors are doing what they should have been doing for years, but weren't really doing under other previous Secretary of State, and they're actually looking into some of these programs and turning up some of the waste and the uh, lack of accountability in those programs. So I I look forward to more audits coming out of the Secretary of State's audits division as they they really do the work they should have been doing for years. Um, But it took a change in leadership there, and that may be the place we get the cost controls out of the state is just forcibly through auditing.
0: By the way, if I can jump in just for a second. Sure. um, Two things, one that annoys me when they say, well, part of the funding came from federal, part of the funding for these projects came from state, part of the funding came from city, part of the funding came from whatever. It still comes from one person, which is uh, you and I. But on a side note, that FLAME um, structure cost two hundred and thirty six thousand dollars. Yeah, and just think, every year, you, if you drive your car in Springfield, you gotta, you gotta, you're on a first name basis with your uh, uh, front end alignment guy.
1: Yeah, you could, you could, you could do a fair amount of chip seal work to prevent the potholes for two hundred thirty six thousand dollars. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. I just, I. I don't get the public art, um, requirement. You know, I, you know, if, if a city decides they really have to and want to do public art as part of a beautification, or they, you know, choose to, to, um, provide funding for that great. And, and, and they do it through their public budget process. And then those folks have to stand for election after that. Great. But when you bury it in a, construction contract cost for a highway project um that's not so great it's not transparent who do you hold accountable for that you know it, you know the the folks at one point i guess maybe it was a legislative initiative or something like that that added that 1% for art to all public contracts or i i don't know if it was done through executive order or how it was done but it definitely uh was not something uh, that's transparent or that folks can see. So I'm starting to hear the music in the background, which means we're coming to the end of another Bose Nose Show. I hope you enjoyed this edition of the Bose Nose Show. We're here every Wednesday from four o'clock and don't forget you can call in and control the subject because I'd rather talk about what you wanna talk about than what I do. So hopefully you might've learned a few things today. Hopefully you might have gotten a little irritated today or a little cheered up by some of it today, but whatever, have a great week. And hopefully you'll be back here next week for the Bo's Nose Show live from beautiful downtown Elmira. Talk to you next week.